turn to Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1, verse 16 and following. The Apostle Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. As we prepare our hearts for communion, I want you to consider those words, and I want you to consider that during his ministry, the Lord Jesus clearly revealed himself as the Lord of glory. In the verses that we just read, Peter refers to the Mount of Transfiguration, which was recorded for us in Matthew 17. At that time, if you want to turn there, you can see for yourself at that time in Matthew 17 and verse 1, The Lord Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. Now this event, we have to realize this event was so significant in the life of Peter that he wrote wrote about it just before his death, almost 40 years later. We shouldn't miss the importance of this event ourselves. We're going to get more into it on Sunday. But for now, I want you to recognize that Christ gave these disciples, these three men, a brief glimpse into His glory. A brief glimpse into the glory of His majesty. I also want you to realize that Jesus revealed His glory to these men with his death on the cross in full open view. In Matthew 16, 21, just prior to this momentous time on the mountain, the Lord began to show them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. He also began to indicate to them that they too would need to suffer unto death after he himself had suffered and died. But they couldn't even begin to grasp these things. First off, why would the Lord of glory, why would the Lord of glory need to suffer at the hands of these godless men? In 1622, Matthew 16.22, Peter even rebuked the Lord saying, God forbid it. God forbid it. This should never, shall never happen to you. You see, Peter didn't understand God's sovereign plan, Father's sovereign plan for the Son to suffer and die. Shockingly, shockingly, 
Peter, or Jesus that is, rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. You see, Peter had become a mouthpiece for Satan. The devil has opposed God's plan from the beginning, has he not, beloved? Now, the disciples certainly couldn't comprehend, they couldn't comprehend Christ's suffering, their Lord's suffering, but they certainly couldn't comprehend their own suffering. But in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus called anyone who would follow him to take up his cross, his own instrument of suffering and death. Now, we mustn't miss the context here. For Peter and the rest of the disciples to fully understand, they would need to also take up their cross and follow Christ. Jesus says it in verse 26, Matthew 16, 26. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You see, Peter, I would argue Peter, wanted the glory of the throne. But he didn't grasp that the cross had to come before the throne. We sang about it just a minute ago. He didn't fully grasp this truth until the Lord sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And after receiving the Holy Spirit, he declared in Acts 2.22 that Jesus the Nazarene was delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, and that he was nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. See, Peter was a different man, was he not? Standing before the people in Jerusalem in Acts 2, he had been profoundly changed by the Lord. In Acts 2.24, Peter demonstrated that he fully understood that suffering had to come first. You see, the Lord was put to death, but he says in Acts 2.24, but God raised him up again. Raised him up again. Putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held in his power. Peter knew that it was impossible for Christ to be held in the power of death because of all that Peter had witnessed. And this included, may I say, the foretaste of Christ's glory on that mountain that he wrote about so many years later. Now, with these truths in view, I want you to turn to Luke 23 as we consider the Lord of glory crucified. Now, we need to set the scene, and as you know, we're going to observe communion in just a moment. First, I want to set the scene in Luke 23. Pick up the narrative in verse 33. In verse 33, they are bringing the Lord Jesus to a place called the skull where they would crucify him. And verse 33 also tells us that Jesus was crucified with two common criminals. criminals. Verse 34 indicates that the people, the people are not aware. Jesus says, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
They're not aware of their wickedness. They had no idea that the Lord Jesus was truly their Messiah. In 1 Corinthians 2.8, you don't have to turn there, the Apostle Paul says that if they understood it, they understood who he was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Crucify him they did. Tragically, in verse 35, they mocked him, saying he saved others. Let him, let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Again, let me remind you, this is the Lord of glory, full of majesty, yet they couldn't see it. That Isaiah passage comes to mind, right? They were blinded, yet without excuse. Old Testament Scripture had clearly revealed the Messiah. We read it in Isaiah 53, right? Astonishingly, was, astonishingly, there was much more going on during this time than we might realize. I would argue that Jesus not only faced the physical presence of those who had beaten and mocked him, but he also faced the rulers and authorities, including Satan and the entire demonic realm. Remember Genesis 3.15? You will, you will bruise him on his heel. He will crush your head. Psalm 22 gives much insight into the brutality of Jesus' first hour on the cross. Psalm 22 is forever linked to the death of Christ. In the words of Greg Harris, I quote, Christians did not assemble and decide that Psalm 22 ultimately referred to Jesus Christ. Rather, the Trinity insists that we associate Psalm 22 with Jesus, especially in regard to his death. One of the last things that Jesus did before yielding up his spirit was to cry out to his Father, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's a direct quote from Psalm 22.1. Amazingly, David wrote Psalm 22 over a thousand years before Jesus endured the cross, and long before the Romans had invented crucifixion. It so accurately describes Roman crucifixion that many scholars try to date the psalm much later, that it was, wasn't written by David so many years before crucifixion was invented by the Romans. Again, in the words of Greg Harris, the psalmist offered such an such a true, trustworthy account that scholars could conc conclude he must have written it after the invention of the crucifixion. For according to them, the psalm is too accurate a description, making it a spurious fraud. Just listen to the words of Psalm 22, 6-8. But I am a worm and not a man a reproach of men despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip and they wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him because He delights in Him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Amazingly, the psalm indicates that the, 
that more than Jesus' physical enemies were present at the cross. Listen to David's description in Psalm 22, 12, and 13. It says, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bastion have encircled me. They opened wide their mouth at me as a ravening and roaring lion. You might recall that later Peter described Satan as our adversary as our adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion. I believe the connection is un- unmistakable. Satan and his demonic realm were there in full force, and they intended to punish the Lord. We only know this. We only know that there was a demonic presence because that can't be seen by humans. We only know this because the Bible tells us. Back in Luke 23, verse 39 through 43, during all this chaos of all this going on, one of the criminals began to realize the gravity of the situation. Amazing is that? How is that? I mean, how is that that this criminal would understand, begin to fathom he knew that jesus had done nothing wrong that that he no longer mocked but he cried out to jesus to save him amazingly according to verse 43 at that moment the lord saved his soul if you look at verse 44 amid all this again madness as they put the Lord of glory to death, something significant happened. And I would argue this is the most significant thing about the cross. We can talk about the physical aspects of the, of the punishment. We can talk about the spiritual aspects of the demonic realm being present. But verse 44 says something significant happened. Everything stopped. And darkness fell upon the land for three hours. Now we don't know much about that time. But there's a few things we do know. Earlier we read Isaiah 53. And I believe Isaiah 53 gives a picture of what happened during this time of darkness. Isaiah says he was smitten of God and afflicted. He was literally struck down by the Father. I would argue that during these hours of darkness that Christ faced the wrath of the Father poured out on Him. Why? Why? 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us that answer. Paul writes, He made Him, the Father made His Son, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Peter says much the same thing. He says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were healed. Again, in Isaiah 53, verse 6, we see Yahweh caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. I believe in those hours of darkness, our Lord bore the sins of the world on the cross. 
The Lord of glory took all our sins upon Himself. He bore your sin so that you would not have to. He faced the wrath of the Father to pay your debt of sin. Paul says the certificate of debt he has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having nailed it to the cross. In other words, you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You have been bought back by a new master. That is if you believe. That is if you believe, if you've by faith believed what Christ has accomplished on the cross. That He did take the wrath of the Father. And that He has nailed your sin to the cross, taken it out of the way. That certificate of debt you could never have repaid. Just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's table together. And as we prepare, I want to give you a few reminders regarding the bread and the cup. The bread and the cup are for believers in the Lord Jesus. During this time, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. Paul's clear about that in 1 Corinthians 11. If you do not believe, if you do not believe that Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, died to atone for your sins, paying for your sins, paying your debt in full, then let the the cup pass. But don't let time slip without turning to Christ. Just this past week, a friend of mine, her young son died in a car accident. Suddenly, gone. We all know it happens all the time. It happens way, way too often, right? Someone snuffed out. Had no idea when he stepped into that car. Christ beckons you to come. Make today the day. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the only way. Through Him and Him alone, you will find salvation and rest for your weary souls. Don't let today slip by if you don't know Him. Secondly, don't partake in an unworthy manner. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. Paul warns, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. In verse 28, he gives the solution. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So during this time, we give you the opportunity. We give you some time to examine yourself. We tell you the communion is coming so you can be preparing for that. Take this opportunity to confess sin. John writes, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says in verse 10, this is 1 John 1.10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He knows. He's given us this opportunity, every opportunity, to confess and 
be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Also, don't partake if you know your brother has something against you. You, you know, you may protest and say, how can I ever be right with everyone? The Lord says, leave your offering and go and make it right with the, your brother. And, and I understand. How can you be right with everyone? Here's the answer. We must do everything in our power to be reconciled with the brethren before we partake in the Lord's table. In this world, it's impossible to be reconciled with everyone because we live in a world of sin. We live in a broken world. But we are called as Christians to do our part in making things right with our brothers and sisters in Christ. First Corinthians 11. If I ask Phil to come up. In just a moment again, we're going to partake together. First Corinthians 11, Paul describes that Last Supper. There at that, right before the Lord went to go to the cross, they took supper together and then they went across to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord knew what He faced says that he came just agonized. Not because he faced a cross. Not because he faced Roman authorities. Not because he faced a demonic realm. He agonized because he faced the Father. Agonized, Luke says, even to the point of drops of blood was mixed with his sweat as it fell to the ground. He did this, took upon himself to sin so that those who believe in him might not have to. To redeem for himself a people people for his own possession. So for the next few moments, I'd like for you to take the time to meditate on what Christ has accomplished on the cross. Confessing your sin, readying your heart to partake. First Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. You hold a small wafer in your hand that symbolizes the body of Christ. We're doing this in remembrance of the Lord going to the cross and bearing the wrath of the Father for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. Let us partake together. It's always amazing to me as I read through this account. This is the true account of what happened. Our Lord Jesus, in the same way, He took the cup. Also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Just think about those words. I mean, He's telling them to remember Him by observing the Lord's table. And we do so even now, remembering again what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Something we could never have done for ourselves. In your hand you hold a cup of juice symbolizes the blood shed. We drink it in remembrance of Christ. Let's partake. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You as we've remembered brought to our memories what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Your plan of salvation. Your plan of redemption. The Lord of glory. Crucified. The Lord of glory has taken your wrath, the wrath that we deserve fully upon Himself so that we might not have to if we only believe. Father, I pray for those today, tonight, that believe in You that they would live a life in victory knowing that you've conquered sin and death. Pray for those who don't know you, that they wouldn't let this evening slide away without turning to you, without coming to you. Bowing the knee to you. Praise your holy name. Christ's name, amen.